I invite you to take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. You're going to be looking at the second half of that chapter. And so I will be reading verses 6 through 13. Revelation 8 verses 6 through 13. And as always, brothers and sisters, I remind you that this is the word of the living God. And so may we attend to it as such. Hear now from the word of the Lord. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up. And all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and the third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we humbly come now before your word, acknowledging our complete and utter dependence upon you to teach us from it. We acknowledge and confess our sinfulness before you. We look to Christ in faith and receive forgiveness from him. And we trust now that by your Spirit, you will teach us from your Word. Do this in our midst now, we pray, to the praise of your glorious grace. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, if you were here with us last week, you recall that we saw that God brings and begins to bring judgment upon his enemies in response to the prayers of his people being offered up to him. We saw that in the first half of Revelation chapter 8. And I've been reflecting on that reality all week long and have been very sobered and challenged by a particular question. And so I want to challenge you with that same question this afternoon. When you pray, as Jesus commands us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be your name, Father. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What do you expect in the here and now, in our day and age, answers to that prayer to look like? What tangible evidence do you expect to see? Because Jesus commanded us to pray this prayer, to bring this petition before the Lord. And so, what do we expect that to look like? How do we expect to see him answering our prayer for him to bring his kingdom? That his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the shocking answer to that question, what we should anticipate, that Revelation chapter 8 gives us, is natural disasters, cataclysmic events, fires, droughts, tornadoes, tsunamis, all sorts of suffering, all sorts of events that would make you really want to weep. And yet this should make absolute sense to us because one of the ways that God brings his kingdom is that he judges his enemies, doesn't he? You see, there's a kingdom that currently exists, the city of man, that exists in rebellion against God. And that kingdom must be removed. We see in the book of Revelation later on that kingdom is removed. And what the Lord Christ is telling us is, I am judging that kingdom even now. If you have but eyes to see what I am doing. When I bring a decreation really about in this time period between when I ascend to my Father's right hand and until I come back again, I am judging your enemies even now if you have but eyes to see it. And it's a little foretaste of that final judgment that I will bring about when I come again. And so, brothers and sisters, we're to understand this. And as we look at the world around us and see the sufferings that take place, we're to understand the Lord is answering our prayers. He's answering the prayers of the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6 as they pray, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And Jesus' reply is, I'm bringing judgment against my enemies even now. And so you must know that and cling to that. I don't have an exciting outline for you today. If you want to say I have four points, that's fine. You can say I have four points. If you know how I preach, I normally have three. But there are four trumpet blasts that take place. And so we're just going to walk through each one of those trumpet blasts and the plague that results from the angel blowing uh, one of these four trumpets. Now, before we look at each of the four trumpet blasts and the plagues that result, I do have to stick in your mind two very important Old Testament events that John would assume his original audience, his hearers, were very familiar with. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not as familiar with our Old Testament as John's original audience would have been. So let me stick these in your mind so that as John just wholesale rips off and borrows from these Old Testament events, you understand what he's doing. And the first Old Testament event that John is leaning heavily upon is the plagues that the Lord brings upon Egypt during the time of the Exodus. You remember that situation. The Israelites are enslaved by Egypt, and they're cruel taskmasters. 
and they're idolaters. Pharaoh himself setting himself up as a god. They worshiped a whole pantheon of Egyptian gods. And so what do the people do under this cruelty as Pharaoh and the Egyptians persecute God's people? His people cry out to him. And he hears their prayers. And in response, he sends Moses and says, I'm going to bring these plagues about against Pharaoh, against the Egyptian gods who are really just demons, and against the enemies of my people. And here's the thing that we've got to keep in mind. John's going to use language, by the way, that mirrors the plagues that were brought upon Egypt. But I think it's important that we remember the intent of God in bringing those plagues about against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And you recall it it wasn't so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians would repent. And it wasn't to really coerce and force Pharaoh's hand to let his people go. Do you recall again and again why the Lord says he is bringing about these plagues upon the Egyptians? Time and time again, he says, I will be exalted in the eyes of the Egyptians. They will know that I am the Lord because each one of these plagues is a shot at one of their important deities. And the Lord says, I'm actually going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so what's the intent here? It's just judgment and the glory of God upon his enemies, upon the enemies of his people. And so John wants us to have that in the back of our heads as we look at these four trumpet blasts. The second Old Testament event that we need to have stuck in our heads as we look at this passage is the conquest of Jericho. You recall that situation. The Israelites have now been brought out of captivity through the Red Sea, and they've wandered in the wilderness. Sadly, the baton has passed from Moses to Joshua, and he's now leading them into the promised land across the Jordan, and they're going to conquer these nations. All that you can see, the Lord says, I'm giving to you. And what's the first place that they come to you? Do you remember? Jericho. Joshua chapter 6. And you recall that the Lord commands Joshua to have seven priests with seven trumpets. What does that sound like? The seven angels and the seven trumpets. And you're to to march around the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, there's going to be a silence. Didn't we already see a silence in Revelation chapter 8 earlier? This silence throughout heaven after all of this worship. There's this silence And then the people are to shout, and the walls come a-tumbling down. And so the trumpet blasts are meant to be, again, not a warning for them to repent. Because who are the only people that are spared at Jericho? Rahab and her family for showing kindness to the spies that Joshua sent. And all the rest of the people, young and old animals, they're destroyed and slaughtered. And Joshua pronounces a curse on anyone who tries to rebuild that city. And so we see how these Old Testament events, John is leaning heavily on them. So we understand this is God's judgment against his enemies. And it's happening right now. It's happening ever since Christ ascended to the Father's right hand, and it's going to continue to happen until he comes back. Now, let me give you further proof, by the way, that the focus of these trumpets is judgment upon God's enemies. Look at the very end of Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21 say this, 
The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So we see that they don't repent. Like Pharaoh, they're hard-hearted. They are rebelling against the Lord. They are worshiping false idols. They are persecuting God's people, and they don't stray from it, even though they've just experienced these first six trumpet blasts and the plagues that come about as a result. And so what John is showing us is, and this is really important, he's saying, listen, these are parallel events to the first five seals that we saw broken in Revelation chapter 6. The focus there, though, is on how believers will experience those. Secondarily, yes, unbelievers. But believers will experience those and persevere through them and be sanctified through them. And now the focus here in Revelation chapter 8, though these are the same events as the first five seals, the first four trumpets at least that we're going to look at tonight, these are happening at the same time between Christ's ascension and his second coming. And the perspective here, though, is how they are raining down upon God's enemies, upon unbelievers. So it's the same events being recast or recapitulated for us, but the perspective is a little bit different and the intent is a little bit different. And so I think it's very important for us to have these things in mind so that we can rightly understand what is happening as we look at these four trumpet blasts. Because what Jesus is doing If you're wondering, Lord, how long until you judge your enemies? Jesus says, I'm doing it right now. And that's meant to be an encouragement to us. He is bringing his kingdom. And it'll come fully and finally at the end of all things. But let's look first then at the first trumpet blast. And actually, before we even jump to the first trumpet blast, we have a little setup in verse 6. So look there with me. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. So again, we see imagery borrowed from the conquest of Jericho. Instead of seven priests with seven trumpets, we have seven angels with seven trumpets. And I think it's important for us to remember where the angels get this authority to be able to inflict the earth and why they're able to blow the trumpets. Look at chapter 8, verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So whose authority are they blowing these trumpets? On whose authority are they bringing these plagues upon the earth? Upon the authority of the one who is seated on the throne and the Lamb. They are the ones who have given them the authority to blow these trumpets and afflict judgment upon God's enemies and the enemies of God's people. And so then we hear the first trumpet blast. And so let's look there at verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now, what's fascinating here, and just a little bit more of setup, I know this is a lot of setup, but 
What is fascinating in each one of these trumpet blasts is, again, I mentioned this in the beginning very briefly, we see a decreation process happening. It's partial, but what we're going to see is the Lord afflicts his creation. The land, the sea, the rivers, and the light sources partially as a judgment upon his enemies because earth dwellers, people here on earth, we rely upon what the land can produce for us to eat and the food that the sea produces and the seasons that the light sources, all of these things we depend upon. And the Lord, as judgment, is bringing about a partial decreation process. And the first decreation we see here is of land. We know that the Lord created the land, right, from Genesis chapter 1. And so here we see a decreation process happening. And how does that happen? Well, we see that hail and fire are mixed with blood, and these are thrown upon the earth. Now, again, I told you that John is leaning heavily on the plagues that were brought against the Egyptians. And so this should remind you of what? The seventh plague. This hail that rains down from the sky, and it strikes livestock, it strikes crops. And so we have something similar here, similar language. And what John is trying to tell us is this doesn't just affect Egypt. This actually affects the whole earth. It affects all of mankind. Now, yes, partially, we're going to see only a third, but still, it's a universal judgment that God is bringing against his enemies. And you see the limits there in the second half of verse 7, where John says, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So we see the limits. It's a third, a third, a third. And we're going to see this third language pop up all over the place. Just in passing, you can go look at it later, but John is borrowing from Ezekiel chapter 5 and Ezekiel chapter 13 with this third language. And so it's a fascinating thing unto itself, but we don't have time to look at that. Another thing that we see here is that fire, we're not to think of this as literal fire, because all throughout Revelation, what we see again and again and again is that fire represents God's judgment. And so God's judgment is being poured out upon the land. His wrath is being poured out in judgment upon the land. Now, it only affects a third of it, but it still affects the land. And what happens as a result? Well, it affects our food supply. There's economic side effects to this. The ways that the Lord strikes the land. I mean, a great example of this is, think of the dust bowl people talked about that. It's an event of biblical proportions. Secular folks that don't believe in God will speak of it that way. And the Lord is doing this, bringing about this kind of judgment to afflict his enemies who hate him and hate his people. And so as we look at each one of these trumpets and the plagues that result, you may go, well, that seems kind of vague. Well, it is kind of vague intentionally. Some of it is that we've already gotten a little bit more texture in Revelation chapter 6 about what this looks like. But what we're to understand is that as we see the Lord afflict the land, our land is sort of afflicted right now, aren't we? California, we're in the middle of a drought. And we're to understand these things, these events, as being the Lord judging his enemies. Because all of this affects them, and we'll see why this is so important in just a little bit. So the first trumpet is blasted. There's a plague that affects the land. Second of all, second trumpet is blown, 
in verses 8 and 9, and we see the decreation of the sea. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So first we have the Lord afflicting the land. Now we see him afflicting the sea. We know from Genesis 1, the Lord created the land. He created the sea. And this isn't talking about the curse that the Lord afflicts upon creation after the fall. This is now a unique thing that the Lord is afflicting upon creation and his enemies after Christ ascends and until he comes back again. And we see how this actually happens. How does the sea get afflicted? Well, John tells us that something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Now, if you know anything about the symbolism of mountains in the scriptures, you know that mountains symbolize kingdoms, right? Perhaps you're most familiar with the fact that God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, is referred to as what? Mount Zion, right? And so this isn't the only exception. There's all throughout scripture places where Mountains are symbolized as representing kingdoms. And I think what John is doing here is he's borrowing heavily from Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 25, where the Lord is calling down judgment against Babylon. And listen to what the Lord says in Jeremiah 51, 25, through the mouth of his prophet Jeremiah. He says, Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain. Babylon is a destroying mountain. And so the Lord goes on to say, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and make you a burnt mountain. You see where John's getting this language from? And how is this world system in the book of Revelation referred to? It's referred to the city of man that is opposed to God. It's referred to as Babylon. Later on in Revelation 1821, Babylon is spoken of as a stone thrown into the sea. And so what do we have? We have the Lord bringing judgment, fire, upon the kingdoms of this world, and it's afflicting the sea. A third of the sea becomes blood, which is an allusion to Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 through 21, the first plague that is brought against the Egyptians. Moses On the command of the Lord, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And so the Lord says, strike the Nile River with your staff, and it'll turn into blood, and it does. And it affects their economy. They're probably not wanting to get around in the Nile River, a river of blood who wants to transport themselves around in that. And so we're seeing more famine language here. We're seeing that it's going to affect the economy. It's going to affect the food supply. And again, more generally, we're just to see sufferings that result from what the sea, tsunamis, all sorts of things that happen here, storms, great storms. We're to see all of this as it happens in the world around us as God's judgment against his enemies. That is what John is trying to make abundantly clear to us. And it's happening, John says, in response to our prayers. Our prayers are the means that God uses to bring about the end of judging his enemies. So we've looked at how the land is decreated, the sea is decreated. Next, we're going to see the decreation 
of the rivers and the streams. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So what do we see happening here? We see the Lord afflicting the rivers and the streams, which again, as his creation, we're very dependent upon. And this is like, the again, the first plague upon Egypt in Exodus seven nineteen. It's very similar to the previous trumpet plague that's afflicted upon creation. And again, there's this famine idea, isn't there? If the streams and the rivers are struck, that's going to affect God's enemies. That's going to affect mankind. They're not going to be able to drink from it. And how does this happen? There's this great star that falls from heaven blazing like a torch. Probably the imagery of a leader or something like that falling. And then what happens? There's this bitterness that results in the water. And John is referencing Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 5 and Jeremiah 23 verse 15 where God says, because of your sins, O Israel, because of your rebellion against me, I am going to make your waters bitter. I'm going to bring suffering upon you. And so that's why he's using this language of wormwood. Wormwood was a plant where if you extracted part of it and put it in water, it would make it very, very, very bitter. Of course, if you're familiar with screw tape letters, you're thinking of that wormwood. That's not the wormwood he's talking about, although C.S. Lewis is probably riffing off of that here. Anyway, the point being that we see the Lord bringing about judgment against mankind, his enemies, by afflicting creation, the rivers and the streams that he himself has made. The next trumpet blast, the fourth trumpet blast, comes to us in verse 12, and we're going to see the decreation of the light sources that God has made. Look at verse 12 with me. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So what we see here is the Lord striking the very light sources we see Him making in Genesis chapter 1. And so the allusion here is back to that ninth plague that the Egyptians experienced in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29, where for three days, all of Egypt was just engulfed in darkness. You can imagine how terrifying that would be, especially during a time when they didn't have electricity and light wasn't easily produced. And this is similar to, if you recall, the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6. You remember how all the light sources start to actually fall out of the heavens. They're darkened, and they're no longer there. Well, this is like that in that it's affecting the light sources, but it's only partial. Again, only a third, a third, a third. John ripping off from Ezekiel. And so what this is is showing us is, and this is fascinating, by the way, the Jewish scholars, they don't deny that the darkness that was struck upon Egypt, that actually happened. It was a literal, physical, time and space thing that happened to Egypt. But what the Jewish scholars would say, and I think they're right, 
is that that was reflective. It was a physical reflection of the inward spiritual state of the Egyptians. They were in spiritual darkness, in their idolatry, and in their hatred of God, and their hatred of God's people. In their hard-heartedness, they were dead to God, and they were enemies of God. And so this is reflective of their spiritual state, that they're completely and utterly in the darkness. And I like how G.K. Beale takes it one step further, and he says, I think what John is doing here in this imagery is he's also showing the futility of the enemies of God. As they're in darkness, and as all of creation, which they worship, isn't this the charge that Paul brings against all mankind that they worship the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so as these trumpet blasts are happening and there's a decreation process that's happening, the land isn't stable because Jesus is bringing affliction upon it to judge his enemies. And the seas aren't stable. And the streams and the rivers and the light sources are not stable. They're being shaken to their core. Because their idol is being shown to be capricious and unstable. And God is saying, you're going to look to what I have created for stability? Oh, no, 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 no. I created them. They're at my beck and call. I will do what I wish with them. And so the enemies of God, seeing their futility, and yet pig-headedly, hard-headedly committed to it, not turning away from it, they persist in their idolatry and in their hatred and in their persecution of God's people, even as they plunge themselves into despair by worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so do you see God's judgment, brothers and sisters, against your enemies, that God afflicts against his enemies? And here's the thing, we've got to end on the good news, don't we? Because the reality is we have no reason for pride in thinking that, well, we're not judged by God. Yeah, that's because of God's grace. We will experience many of these same afflictions because we live in the same creation. And yet God intends these for our purification, even as he intends them for the judgment of his enemies and our enemies. But why is there any difference between us and our enemies? It's not because we weren't just as lost in our idolatry. It's not because we weren't just as hard-hearted. It's because God in his love and his grace and his mercy set his seal upon us, as we saw in Revelation chapter 7. He sent the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and unite us to his Son, the Lamb who was slain. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb, cleansed from our sins, and his name is upon us, and he will keep us until the end. And so we have to rejoice in that, brothers and sisters, and cling to him, and understand that even though we deserve judgment, not just in this life, but also in the one to come, like our enemies, Jesus experienced the judgment that we deserve on the cross. He experienced the fullness of the wrath of God, so that our sins are propitiated And we are forgiven. But make no doubt about it. As you ask, Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As you see the decreation process happening and the suffering of the unbelievers around you, know that Jesus is saying, I am 
bringing judgment right now. It's partial, but it's happening, and it's a little foretaste of the final judgment that is coming. And in the meantime, brothers and sisters, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that unlike this creation, cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Because these trumpet blasts remind us that our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do thank you for the grace that you have shown us. Father, in the giving of your Son, the Lamb who was slain for us. And we're thankful that your seal, the Holy Spirit, is placed upon us. We pray, Lord, that we would rightly understand the afflictions that you bring into our lives to purify us, to make us more like your Son so that we will partake in your holiness. And Lord, that we would also understand the role of the sufferings and the decreation process that you're bringing judgment upon your enemies. May we revere you and stand in awe of you and thank you that, Jesus, you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen.